Welcome to Golf Origin Stories. My name is Chris McEwen, and that song is called California Stars, off an album called Mermaid Avenue, and it's kind of an interesting collaboration, a very unique collaboration between uh, someone named Billy Bragg, who is a British singer, an American band called Wilco, headed by Jeff Tweedy from Chicago, and the lyrics are by Woody Guthrie. And so... When Woody Guthrie died, he left behind thousands of complete lyrics, but they had never been recorded. He didn't write music for them, and um, he wrote some sort of, you know, some notes with the lyrics, but otherwise it was just, they were just words. And in 1992, Woody Guthrie's daughter, Nora, reached out to Billy Bragg and asked if he wanted to make an album to, you know with these lyrics and so billy reached out to wilco and they recorded mermaid avenue and then they ultimately would end up making three volumes so mermaid avenue one two and three and uh, this song i just i love this song i used to play it all the time it's nice and easy it's three or four chords what they what we call cowboy chords no bars just kind of full easy chords and it's just got a great melody to it and i used to just love playing it and it, it would match my singing voice, and it was, a, it was just a great song. And I choose that song because my guest today, Mitch Lawrence, fell in love with golf during his time in California. And we talk about quite a bit his time in California because I sort of kind of grew up with Mitch Lawrence because he, many of you who are listening to this may know Mitch Lawrence because of his his golf kind of content. Um, he's on a, he hosts a, co-hosts a podcast with Darren Bunch, who, Darren, if you're listening, you're going to get an invite soon. Um, but they host a podcast called Talking Golf Getaways. It's about travel and things like that. And he's been doing golf things for, for years. Um, but before that, Mitch Lawrence was an actor. And he spent some time in LA and Two very specific television shows that he was on, I watched rather intently during very different parts of my life. But um, I, was, I was so excited to talk to him about this stuff. And admittedly, I kind of, I, I geek out a little bit um, just because it's so fun to, to talk about that and just kind of say thank you to him for entertaining me. So it's a really fun conversation. And of course, we talk about when and why he fell in love with golf. And it's a great story, and it's mostly because Mitch, he's kind of perfect for this sort of format, for this show, because he's the kind of person that you just want to sit down with, open up a nice bottle of bourbon, and just listen to him tell stories, and just be entertained endlessly. So this is a few of those stories, and I'm so thhe came on, and I was shocked when he said yes, but then... Of course, Mitch said yes. He's one of the most supportive and positive people um, that you're going to meet. So let's hear from my friend, Mitch Lawrence. Mitch Lawrence, welcome to the show, sir. 
Thank you, Chris. Great to be here. Great to be with you. I'm so appreciative of you um, being on my little tryhard show here. It's such it's so <laughs> great. I can't believe you said yes. <laughs> Every big show starts as a little tryhard show. Just remember that. That's true. You're right. So um, I know that Miguel Angel Jimenez has the title of most interesting golfer in the world, but <laughs> I, I just assume that's because people don't know your background or your history. <laughs> Because uh, if you look, if you just do a quick Google search of Mitch Lawrence, you get this plethora of information that is just, I found it incredibly fascinating. And I'll, I'll it may not be as interesting as for other people, but for me, um, there were two things that, well, let's just start where, where, where it all began. So you were, you were an actor before you became this, uh, this kind of uh, fatherly presence on golf Twitter, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's, that's true. That's you're you're true. an you're an actor, and you're a broadcaster, and then you kind of found your way into the podcasting world, and you did some video stuff, and um, yeah. So you've got a, I mean, just a tremendously interesting background to me. Well, it's been interesting to me too. I I have to say, I look back on it, and I it feels like a whole bunch of different chapters in an unbelievably rich life. Yeah. which is really what it's been. Yeah. It's been the, it's been the craziest life you've ever lived, huh? <laughs> For all we know. <laughs> That's right. So, okay, let's, let's start. So there's, there were two roles, well, two shows that you're on uh, very specifically that you, you and I sort of inadvertently crossed paths without knowing it. Um, the first was this little show on HBO in Early eight well, was it, did it start in the late seventies? I think it was early eighties and ran into ran into nineteen ninety, called yeah, not the, nece, called not necessarily the news. Yeah. <laughs> so let me let me just puppy. I'm interested yeah. to hear how this process. So right, so yeah, we've discovered that you're a few years older than I am, but um, so I was raised on satire. My 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 parents put me in front of movies like. Um, you know, Holy Grail and Pink Panther and uh, Blazing Saddles and and I mean the Mighty Python series in general. They they for whatever reason that that's what they used to to keep me entertained as a very small child. So growing yeah. up, that's kind of what that's what funny was to me. That's how I kind of learned what was funny. And then so not necessarily the news comes around and and for those who don't know. Not necessarily the news was the prequel to The Daily Show, to John Oliver, to The Colbert Report. Like you, not necessarily the news was all about making fun of the news and making fun of, um, you know, famous people. And, and a lot of it was um, political, but a lot of it was just kind of silly. And it had the rhythm to me of Mighty Python. Like it was just like bit after bit after bit after bit for a half hour. And it was amazing. And Granted, you know, I probably should go back and watch it again because as probably what an eight year old watching it, I'm sure mm -hmm. there were so many jokes that flew over my head. But like I look when you guys made fun of like Prince Charles and you just do these really kind of, I don't know, these funny things, you know, the Reagan bits, even as a, and that's the other piece of it, too, is is that show made me want to learn a, why something was funny. And you guys, I think you used a laugh track, I'm assuming behind it mm -hmm. um but so i would go and it kind of 
you know, catapulted my interest into politics and, and that sort of thing kind of started making me pay attention a little bit more to that. So, I mean, that show, I, I loved that show. It was amazing. Well, I, I can't tell you how happy that makes me. Um, when I got that job, and I won't go into the process of getting it, but when I got the job, HBO had literally just started. Mm-hmm. And they, we did a pilot. Uh, it was based on a show in England called Not the Nine O'Clock News. Uh, we did a pilot, and then they picked up six episodes, and then 12, and then we kept going for a while. And I remember going at the beginning, we went to, we were in Los Angeles, but I remember going to New York where HBO was headquartered and we shot a whole bunch of stuff in New York on the streets and different sketches and different things. And three quarters of New York didn't even have HBO. (laughs) Forget about the rest of the country. New York didn't. Wow. What started out slowly picked up speed over the years and um, was just uh, still if not my favorite, one of my three favorite things I've ever worked on. And uh, yeah, it was it was a mind boggling collection of great people. And, you know, I, I look back on it now and I have so many people say, I wish you guys were still on, given the political climate and everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. But we really did the footage uh, for your listeners who don't know, we would take news footage and then do all kinds of stuff to it. We would dub our voices in. We would cut it with different footage. We would you fake interviews. Yeah, you would take queen. things totally out of context too. Like I remember there was there was, there was a Reagan bit where um, he was professing his appreciation for Caucasians. Yeah, <laughs> it's like you made him. You turned it into a speech about that, and and so yeah. it was yeah, just amazing. You probably couldn't get away with it now. There, I mean, I don't know. Did you guys get any blowback back then? Um, not, you know, the thing is, the show was so lighthearted. Um, we we went after people. We had an incredible group of writers. Uh, and John Moffat and Pat Lee, who were the producers, were incredibly smart. And we went after people we thought needed to be, you know, need, that we needed to go after. But it was all in the in this context of humor and comedy, like you said. Yeah. So mixed in with these sketches, often slapstick and silly and um, things like Rich Hall did a thing called Sniglets. Yeah. I don't know if you yeah. know that, which will, you know, making up words to yeah. about <laughs> things that never make up a word for it. all that kind of stuff together. It never got too heavy. It never got, you know, beyond the point of, like you said, satire. So, yeah. Uh, it was yeah, a, there was some. Danny Breen was in that cast, right? Who from Second City, from here in Chicago, and who, who shared a stage with Jim Belushi. Yeah, Danny was Danny was a great one. He unfortunately just passed away last year, but Danny was from Second City. Stu Pankin, um, Lucy Webb, they all had training in improv. I was the only one who didn't have any improv training, <laughs> which was amazing because <laughs> I would get in there and just have to rumble with them and. Uh, right. but it, we we really did have uh, Annie Bloom was in that on that yep. cast and we just had a we had a ball we had yeah. an absolute ball and the um I think some of the well I know two of the writers that joined the show late um, Conan O'Brien I think was a writer there and Greg Daniels was also a writer mm-hmm. for that show yeah so there was some there that was it was a launching pad for you know some of those people for sure yeah that's so okay. cool that you were aware of it. 
Yeah, but now you and I were talking before we started about kind of the passage of time and how it flies Mm -hmm. and how inside in your mind you feel like this stuff was just yesterday. I mean, to me, it was just yesterday. And we, you know, the late 80s is when I left. There was a year after I left. Um, But it feels like it was yesterday. It really does. And so I often meet people who weren't aware of the show at all. And uh, we keep, we for a number of years, especially in the last decade, I'll say, we kept trying to beg Pat and John to go back and do reunion shows, given what we could do now. Yeah. And think about the technology and what we yeah. could do now. What we did then was amazing. But yeah. uh, they, you know, the the thing is, those shows, when you watch them now, some of it's dated, obviously. And But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that it meant something to you. That yeah. means a lot. It was great. And then the other show where you played Dr. Benjamin Gold, which I really <laughs> so I'm going to tell you a story. So Benjamin Gold was a character in <laughs> Dawson's Creek, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so fast forward um, for me, what, 12 years or so, 13 years, I just come back from the Air Force. I was I enlisted. I just come home from the military. And um, I, I was the first of my friends to get my own apartment. And so that became obvious out spot all the time for all of us. So there was, there was my brother who's a few years younger than me and then four or five friends that would just, we were always at my apartment all the time, just kind of hanging out, whatever, watching TV or it was just always kind of where we hung out. I can't remember why or how, but we started Tuesday night uh, like spaghetti night. So I would make this big, you know, thing of spaghetti. All the guys would come over and we'd watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Dawson's Creek every Tuesday night. <laughs> so, and I would work, so I was working and I, and I, my friends were going to college still. I was working a job, but they would, they would go into my apartment before I would get there. So I went, when I got home to my apartment, everyone was there waiting for me. And on Tuesdays, they would greet me by singing uh, the theme song to Dawson's Creek. So it was like these five, you know, early 20 guy, you know, 20 year old guys. And we would just have spaghetti and watch Dawson's Creek. And we loved it. <laughs> so, so far in this interview, I've been mentioned in the same sentence with Miguel Angel Jimenez and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. That's right. so, this yeah. is already an interview unlike any I've ever done. You had no idea what you're getting into when you agreed no, to this. No, I didn't. No. <laughs> All right, we'll 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 move off of that. Although I, I want to ask you one, one more thing. I had mentioned that you kind of you you know through Twitter and and just kind of speaking with you and very via text and and just this short amount of time now, you've got this sort of calming nature to you, and and you do come off kind of as this this like you're the I don't know I I I feel like you're kind of the that you're like that that elder statesman of our little golf Twitter verse. You know, mm-hmm. you're 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 always supportive and you're positive and you just you, you have a really really great presence. And I, I don't know, was that something that was handed down to you from you know your your mother or father or family, or is that something that that's you that you kind of procured, you know, along the way? Or or where did that sort of where does where's your personality kind of stem from if you can't even you know identify where it came from 
Yeah, I'm not sure I can. First of all, thank you for saying that. It's it's obviously very kind of you. I don't. That's not something I ever set out to do. I mean, the positivity part, I definitely set out to do. Um, I think it just comes from living a long life and kind of trying to be aware. And yeah. uh, I know the things that have been important to me over my lifetime and the people that have been important. It do doesn't matter what I've done or where I've been or who I hung out with or who I worked with. Um, I was always attracted to people who had that kind of mindset. And I think subliminally and certainly not consciously, but I think that that kind of shapes who you become and who you are if it, if it matters to you. And it matters to me. Um, yeah. That's just something that uh, it's like I said to you before, I've been incredibly fortunate to have the life I've had. And so anywhere that I can just by doing whatever I can do to make that journey easier, more fun, more constructive, not wanting to, but just by doing whatever, that's fine with me. That's because I certainly have had a lot of inspirational people along the way too. So Yeah, I think you're you're you're, you're inadvertently returning that favor to I think a lot of us. So I know and you know the the Talking Golf Getaways podcast, that's kind of where I, I felt like I met you, sort of so to speak, and kind of learned who and you and Darren were. And um yeah, I was just uh I was always just seems like you appreciate things and that's nice. Well, I'm, I'm I'm happy to hear you say that, man. Again. So, all right. So you've got the, you've got your. You just launched the a, the golftripx.com website last year, right? That's kind of a new sort of endeavor for you. Yeah, it was an offshoot of a podcast that Darren and I had been doing called Golf Getaways. Right. Um, and Golf Connections. There were a couple of different iterations of it, but um, I had. I got a through Twitter again, and I know all of us are grateful for what that's given us in terms of connections. But through Twitter, uh, I had gotten to know without meeting him, Ryan Balangi. Um, and Ryan contacted me because turns out he has family in Myrtle Beach, where I live, and he was going to be coming down. So he said, you want to get together, play some golf? I said, sure. And he and I spent went out and played together one day and spent four and a half hours in a golf cart talking. <laughs> And I was incredibly impressed with Ryan, and uh, I started talking to him. And then I, when I got home, I called Darren and I said, "You know, you and I have um, the our website was called Play Golf Getaways at the time. We did the podcast on there, and uh, I said, you know, we should partner up with Ryan. He's got Golf News Net, and he doesn't really have a travel component. And I think between the three of us, it would be a really good fit." So the three of us started talking and uh, we decided to just kind of all jump in together. And that started off with Talking Golf Getaways as a part of Golf Newsnet. And then we decided because his he had so much other content on Golf Newsnet that we'd jump off and, and you know, we're still partnering with him. But mm -hmm. it's, you know, we've created GolfTripX.com as its own kind of standalone thing. And, yeah. and that's where we're now. And. You know, we're 100 and I guess almost 60 podcasts in and it's uh, it's been fun. Darren's, uh, you know, he's a brother to me. Yeah. And the, the game has given us that. And, and so we just have fun. We just go places and we try to have fun and share as much information as we can. Yeah. So let's talk about the game. 
actually, since that's why you're here in the first place, right? Um, <laughs> so when, when did the game introduce itself to you? When did you find this game or when did the game find you? Well, the, um, I have a twin brother, Matthew Lawrence, who you may know. I don't know mm-hmm. if you follow Matt, but Matt, uh, he and I are identical twins. And we grew up playing every other sport. We used to have a, a house that we shared with our cousins up in outside of New York about an hour and a half. And occasionally during the summers, we would go hit balls at a driving range when we were kids. I'm, I'm talking about eight, nine, 10, 11. But it was it was never my father never played. We didn't know anybody who played. It was just something to do. And um, I remember kind of liking it, liking just being out there and smashing balls. There was no technique or anything. And as Matthew and I grew up, we didn't we didn't play golf at all. Uh, we were mainly basketball players growing up. We played in high school and a couple of years in college. Uh, we played football and baseball, and I think uh, we knew one guy growing up in high school who played golf, and we thought he was an idiot. Um, we had one, my father had one friend, uh, Gene Robinson, his name was, and we were friendly with his son, and we used to go over there all the time, and Gene was a golfer. And I literally remember being at his house um, when there'd be a football game on, and he'd want to watch golf. and. Yeah. Had weird golf stuff all over the house, and remember <laughs> thinking what a complete idiot the guy was. So we never played. I didn't have any interest in playing. I started to live my life. Went to college. Never played. <laughs> got out. Uh, wound up working on Saturday Night Live from seventy-five to eighty in New York. Never played. Uh, it was not part of my consciousness. Not one minute did I ever think about golf. And in 1980, I wound up making a decision to leave Saturday Night Live and start acting. So I moved to L.A. And I had a a guy I'd known since elementary school, literally since first grade. His name was Keith Glass. And he lived in L.A. He was an assistant basketball coach at UCLA. And he'd been playing golf for a number of years. And when I moved to L.A., I got in touch with him. We were talking and, you know, I went to UCLA games and one day he said to me, you should come play golf with me. And I said, Keith, I don't play golf. And he said, no, really, you should play golf. And he just bugged me. He kept bugging me. And one day I said, OK, I'll go. And he said, OK, I'll pick you up at 630. And I said, Keith, start at 630. <laughs> he said, I'll pick you up in the morning at 630. And I said, I'm an actor. I don't get up at 6.30 unless you pay me to get up at 6.30. (laughs) I wound up going out with him and literally couldn't get the ball in the air. (laughs) I could not get the ball in the air. And I thought, this is the strangest thing ever because I was a really good athlete. I mean, there was never a sport that I tried to play that I couldn't play. I said, there's nobody yelling There's nobody trying to tackle you. There's nobody throwing the golf ball at you for you to hit it. (laughs) Why can't it can't be possible that I can hit this ball in the air? And I think that's what hooked me at the beginning. Yeah. That's where I first said, okay, this doesn't make any sense. I have to keep trying it. So that was in 1980. And as the next year or two went by, I started playing more. And by about... 82 or 83 uh and you know la has some of the best public golf you can play i mean the courses are just great and i just kept going out and i I, that's where the addiction hit me and i had Mm -hmm. a lot of time single 
when I was not working, I was playing golf and I just played all the time. I would play probably four or five times a week. I'd practice. And then once the HBO show hit, once it established itself, I started playing in local kind of celebrity things around LA. And nice. through that network, uh, I started being asked to and then participating in more kind of around the country. And for, God, I don't know how many years, that was a huge part of my life. I was probably playing in 25 or 30 of them during the height of it. Wow. Uh, programs and celebrity events. And, and so all that kind of flowed together. But I didn't start. I never really hit a golf ball till I was 30. Wow. So, yeah, and so yeah. you never played competitively or anything like that. It was just no. going nope. out with a pal, huh? Wow. Mm -hmm. But because the courses were so great and because I was, I had a lot of acting friends who played and writer friends who played, people who had the time to play during the week. Um, and we all, you know, we had regular morning times at Griffith Park and at Rancho Park and uh, the courses in the Valley and Sino and Balboa. And I was just always out there. And it was a, it was actually the perfect storm and the perfect place for me to get into the game. Wow. Because so, the addictive of it absolutely took over. Isn't that absolutely. weird? Like, so, so what is it? What, what makes this game so addictive? I feel like the exact way and my, and my kind of story is the same thing. Like I played baseball my entire life and I couldn't fathom why this, why I couldn't play this game, but mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe that's just the addiction of it is, is it's so hard. Yeah, and I think I think golf is really different than any other sport I've ever played, um, because, like I said, all the other sports either involve a team, which is a whole other aspect, mm -hmm. or even if it's a singular sport like tennis, um, there's it's movement. You know, it's based on physical movement and physical activity. So you have to have that in combination with the talent to actually play the game. I think the thing that that is fascinating about golf, and now it's been almost 40 years, it will be 40 years in a month, hmm. uh, is that no matter at what stage you are at, whether, I mean, I was watching the Phoenix Open, you know, today, the um, Waste Management Open, mm -hmm. and I'm watching these guys and I'm watching them hit shots that we hit. Yeah. I mean, they obviously hit shots that we can't, but I'm watching them hit shots that we hit. Yeah. I'm watching them hit 30, 40 yards right. I'm watching them kind of thin chips across the green. I'm watching them do stuff that we do. And I'm going, this is not um, this is not something that anybody, I don't care how good you are, ever masters, no matter how old or how long you've been playing. And I think that's the 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 subliminal kind of grip that it has on us is that there's always this feeling of I can get better. I, I still can trust me the, at the point I'm at in my life now, I feel like I'm still swinging the club the way I did when I was a six handicap in LA, <laughs> same way, same yeah. swing, speed, everything. And trust me, it's not, yep. but I keep feeling like it should be. <laughs> and so you know, I've given up the quest for distance. There's no question about that. Um, everything from, let's say 150 yards and in, and especially the short game, that's not something I'm going to give up on. I just, you know, I won't. And I play with hundred year old clubs. I was, I was going to get to that. Yeah. So when, when did that, when did, so as, so at some point you played with modern equipment, I'm assuming. Yeah. Oh yeah. For, for, well, certainly the first 20 years I did. Yeah. Okay. I, I, 
never, I was not that into, amazingly now because of how much I'm into it now, but I was never that into the history of golf or anything in that realm. I mean, I knew things. I knew about champions and stuff, but just being a normal golfer, I never even thought about it. Yeah. And uh, I had read Golf in the Kingdom. I don't know if you're familiar with that book or your listeners are. Michael Murphy's great book about golf called Golf in the Kingdom. And there was a character in it called Chivas Irons. It's a kind of metaphysical treatise on golf and the nature of the game. And there's a character called Chivas Irons who was a, a really mystical character. And a group formed around that book called the Chivas Iron Society. And I became a member of that because it interested me and I thought it was fascinating and fun. And there was an outing at um, up in West Virginia at Oakhurst Links, which is right near the Greenbrier. It's a couple of miles from the Greenbrier. Okay. And I decided to go. And they the course was built in 1894. And sorry to get off track here, but it kind of leads to the Hickory discussion. Yeah. Um, the 1894. And uh, by six Scottish guys who had come over. And it kind of fell into disrepair. And then an amateur named Lewis Keller bought it and Sam Sneed used to go there. But it's a nine hole course and you can still go now and rent long nose hickory clubs and the fairways. They have sheep on them and it's sand tee boxes. It's the hickory experience wow. from 1894. And it, I just went crazy. I, I We played night golf with glow balls and. <laughs> And I just something about it really got my heart. And so a few years later, uh, but those were the first hickories I hit. And a few years later, uh, I went to Pinehurst to play in an event. And I became friendly with a couple of guys, one named Mike Just and the other named Josh Fisher, both of whom worked for Louisville Golf in Louisville, strangely enough. Mm -hmm. And um, they, Mike Just was a hickory guy. Even though they made modern clubs, he was a hickory guy. And he would make replica hickory clubs. And I played with him and Josh at Pinehurst. And I started hitting these clubs. And I just, uh, there was something about it that literally just felt like home to me. Yeah. Emotional talking about it. <laughs> like home. And so I stayed and became very, very close to both of them. And I started playing replica hickory clubs from Louisville golf. And then that led me into vintage clubs and searching for clubs. And, uh, that's kind of how I got into the hickory thing. And so for about the last, well, I would say solid eight years, eight, nine years, that's really all I've been playing. And I, now I have a set of modern clubs. Um, I got a new set of Ben Hogan's that I love, um, and some woods from high heat, which is a great company. And, uh, you know, I'll take those out occasionally and depending on who I'm playing with or if I just feel like getting some forgiveness because the hickories are, as you can imagine, not that yeah. forgiving. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, but it's the same game, you know, it's the same, it's the same basic game and the love for the game doesn't matter what you're hitting. I could be hitting a broomstick right now and still feel the same. Yeah, that's amazing. That's super cool. Yeah, yeah. The, um, the hickory thing. I, I, I'm going to try it. I haven't, I've never done it. I'm going to try it. Um, yeah, that's definitely something that, uh, it, that interests me. I don't know if I'll fully convert necessarily. Um, yeah, but you don't have to, you know, I, yeah. people who play hickories all the time and I, I play in a bunch of hickory events and, you know, I'm always around people who play hickories only. 
Uh, Darren went to play with me one day, and he never even tried them. And he went back home to California, and unbeknownst to me or anybody else, he found one hickory club and took it out to his course and played with it one day. And that's it. Darren's just a hickory player and since then. <laughs> I mean, he's, he just... But not everybody's like that, and it doesn't mean anything. You know, so, I saying to people, if you... What I recommend is that you find a club, and I'm going to send you a club. And what you, you do is, yeah, what you do is you take it to the driving range, and before you go out to play, you hit ten balls with it or fifteen balls. Okay. Because it will help. It help. It'll help you with the rhythm of just warming up. Because you can't flail at it. Yeah. You'll, you know, you just can't get away with it, and so it, it really it'll help you a little bit. There's okay. nothing that says you have to be a hickory player. You know, that's people get crazy when they see I'm playing with them. And I, I kind of go, Hey, that's me. Uh, you know, <laughs> it doesn't mean you have to do it. So now do you play a modern ball? Or do you also play like old, well, yeah, you know, the, the balls now or the softballs especially are so good yeah. that you can play them and they won't, they won't hurt the clubs. Um, okay. Irons are pretty, pretty indestructible woods. You know, if you play with a really hard ball and you hit it with a hickory, a persimmon and a hickory, you can do some damage to the face. Um, hmm. But the soft balls, the modern balls now are so good. But there's uh, also a company called McIntyre Golf that makes replica dimple patterns from the 20s. Uh, and actually before they have some gutty models and different things, but uh, they take modern materials and and have dimple patterns from the 20s. So I play with that a lot. Wow. And I love that. And they're good balls. They're really good balls. You know, I'm not, it's like I said, I'm not out to hit it 275. Sure. And I'm not out to hit a six iron 190 yards. And uh, it, it, what it makes you do is it makes you appreciate the game more. It makes you appreciate shot making more and kind of playing ground shots and just thinking differently. You don't grab a, you know, I remember when I was really in the heat of my playing I would just have a yardage, and if I had 150 yards, I'd just go eight iron. I never even thought about it. Mm -hmm. and I'd just grab it. And occasionally, you'd have to go, well, I might have to take a little off or juice it a little. But this hickory golf's a wholly different animal. It's a completely different game, and I love that part of it, You know, especially at the point I am. I'm not about scores. and I've shot the lowest score I'm ever going to shoot, and I've hit it the farthest I've ever, I'm ever going to hit it. Yeah. So once you let go of that expectation, it's a pretty freeing feeling to just go out and and play for the love of the game and and see what happens. And meet people. That's you know this conversation we're having is about that. Yep. Absolutely. And we'll, we'll get a chance to do it in person too. I hope so. I'll have to. Uh, when did you move to? So you moved from LA to South Carolina, or? I moved actually from L.A. Uh, in 1992. I decided to leave L.A. and move to Charlotte with my lovely wife, Ava, or about to be wife, Ava. Okay. Um, at the time, she was a professional pool player. and She's a really good um, professional pool player. Well, only if you, you know, think of the fact that when she was number one in the world, she was Tiger. Yeah, she was pretty good. Yeah. Let's <laughs> say. I, I still is. I, I, <laughs> but she moved from Michigan and I moved from LA to, and we moved to Charlotte and uh, lived there for nine years. And, um, and I started, I was doing a lot of golf stuff at that point anyway. And I started doing a TV show here in Myrtle beach with a friend of mine 
and driving down to Myrtle from Charlotte. And uh, after a couple of years of doing that, we just said, why don't we just move there? Because mm -hmm. we could, we were traveling and we could do anything. I was doing commentary for ESPN, for billiards. Mm -hmm. And um, so we could live anywhere. And we moved to Myrtle Beach and it's now been 20 years ago. So we've watched Myrtle Beach grow up too. Yeah, for sure. It's, that place is a lot different than it was 20 yeah. years ago. Wow. Yeah. So what uh, what's on the docket for 2020? I, I think I saw that you might be. Are you taking a trip soon? Yes. <laughs> yeah, you're going to. Are you going to. So what are you going to play when you go? You're going to go to Bandon, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. So are you are you taking all the clubs? How do you what do you how do you decide what to take? No, I'm going to I'll be playing the Hickories. Ben. Really? I, this is this will be our third my third trip. Uh, oh. And then and I've played Hickory's, you know, I, I mean, since really for the last 10 years, that's all I've taken when I okay. go play every place. I don't care where I go or where I'm playing. I pretty much take the Hickory's. I just move up, you know, I just go to a forward key and I play from there and that's pretty much it. Yeah. Um, but we'll be, we're excited. We're Darren and uh, Brian Orr, our extraordinary yeah. photographer. Drink. I was going to say that the golf trip X.com stable of talent is mm -hmm. amazing i mean very quickly you guys assembled quite the team it's really impressive yeah brian, well, brian is just amazing Brian, yeah. we had worked with before you know and um but brian you know we have other great people too eric hart is with us he's a fantastic writer and mm -hmm. we have people occasionally chime in and do different things uh and ryan's coming with us and ryan has not been to bandit we all have been multiple times but this is ryan's first trip so this is kind of we're excited because to see Bannon through the eyes of somebody who's never been there. Yeah. And who's such a golf freak like Brian. And who also I mean, Brian plays a different game than we do. Ryan Ryan carries it three hundred. So right. you know, he's he's literally gonna be playing it differently than Brian, Darren and I are all Hickory players. Yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna have fun. And the sheep ranch is opening up June first and we're gonna get Hopefully, we're going to get to play. Um, it'll depend on the grow-in, but um, we'll at least... We've played the Sheep Ranch in its earlier form. Okay. And it was just off the charts. Yeah. Ridiculously fun and great. And and so, at the very least, we're going to get to see it in its present form, and hopefully we'll play either the full 18 or a bunch of holes, and we'll see what happens. But I, I abandoned to me is there's... There's a few spots that are worth a pilgrimage and Bandon is it for us. So we're going in April. Those have been booked. And then we'll see what happens after that. Um, I know Darren and I are shooting for going back to Sand Valley. He's been there. I haven't. So we're going to go there. And there's, you know, as the year goes by, we'll take some other trips and and talk about those. Very cool. We do. Are you going to you're going to keep doing the uh, the podcast? Oh, yeah. Good. Yeah. Good. So we're actually we're going to do one live from there. Um, you know, the four of us just sitting around in a room, which we did at Tobacco Road too. We did a podcast from mm -hmm. Tobacco, and sat around in the Stewart cabin and talked there. And so, uh, yeah, we're we're definitely still doing the podcast. We have a new one coming out in the next day or two about uh, Gulf Shores, Alabama. I just got back with my wife. We went on a couple's trip to Gulf Shores, and that was fantastic. And yeah, so it just, it kind of evolves as it goes. Darren and I will keep doing what we're doing and and we'll get to play some great golf, meet some new people and do some traveling. Yeah. Hopefully, 
our cross our paths cross sooner rather than later. I think I think it will. You yeah. know, it's a, there's a very easy flight from Chicago to Myrtle Beach too. It's true. You're right. It's like a, it's a real quick one. Yeah. And as you're in the the complete dead of winter right now, you should just think about it. <laughs> that you're also right. It's we haven't <laughs> seen the sun. I think it, we just broke a record or something in Chicago for we haven't seen the sun and it's been over I think it's close to 10 days or something like not a not a glimpse of the sun. Well, tell yourself you're in Scotland. Just yeah. pretend you're in Scotland. Right. And you'll feel better. Right. <laughs> All right, but Mitch. Dope, man. Anytime you want to come, you got a place to stay and free golf. So if that doesn't entice you, I don't know what will. But be careful. We'll sit there. We're going to sit together and I'm going to just pelt you with questions about random television shows that I grew up That's, on. It's fine. We, we haven't even gotten to the Saturday Night Live stuff. Wait, do you think you're scaring me now? <laughs> <laughs> were you were you a watcher of Beverly Hills 90210? I wasn't. I okay. can't say I was. You were on that no, one too? I, Matthew, my twin brother, was on Beverly Hills 90210. We were okay. both actors. So there's lots we can talk about. Yeah. I need to get the history behind how, how that happened. So yeah. where did you where did you grow up? What New York. We grew up right outside of New York City. Oh, okay. Wow. And you guys both got the acting bug, huh? Yeah, kind of separate but equal. Matthew started first while I was on working in production on Saturday Night Live. Okay. And I got into it once I moved to LA, and then we wound up both doing it. And we did a bunch of things together, which was fun. And That's cool. Yeah. 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 Interesting yeah. lives, man. So we could feel we can make this. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to bring the microphone again if I come down too, because just That's for posterity, fine. just for just so I can listen back to it. No one else needs <laughs> to hear it. I just want to keep saying, scare me. <laughs> Pretty much nothing scares me at this point in my life. <laughs> All right, sir. I knew this would be a great discussion, and it was even better than than I had hoped. You're well, you're an easy man to talk to. Thanks. You're great too, and I'm really happy you're doing this. I think some great stuff's going to come out of it. I really do. Thanks, Mitch. I appreciate it. And um, yeah, thanks again for coming on. And um, okay. if I if I run out of guests, I'll maybe I'll just call you up and we can talk about. Saturday Night Live, and then you can also talk about all these trips that you're taking, because yeah. I just live vicariously through you for a little while until I get myself I'd, in. I'd love, I'd love to. As we say in New York, I'm here for you. <laughs> all right, sir. Thank you again. Okay, man. I'll talk to all you right. soon. All right, Mitch Lawrence, ladies and gentlemen. Hopefully, if you're anything like me, as you listen to that conversation. You had somewhat of a smile on your face. I know as I listen to it, I've listened to it multiple times at this point. Each time I've just had this big cheesy grin on my face because it just makes me so happy to talk to Mitch. And he's such a great human being. And maybe even if you were laughing at me, kind of fanboying out at the career of Mitchell Lawrence and how much I enjoyed some of his work, uh, that's okay with me. I'm perfectly fine with it. But that's the show. Thank you again for listening, and I remind you, as Scotty once told me to do, if you like the show, please rate it, subscribe, leave a review, and that's for the Apple Podcasters. If you're listening to this on some other format that doesn't let you review it, then what I want you to do is find someone who would enjoy this show and give them the review. Tell them about it, and maybe they'll, they'll join. And if you've got a story, as I always say, Find me on Twitter at Chris McEwen or go to my website at chrismcewen.com slash golf origin stories 
the episodes are up there and there's a form there that you can actually reach out to me and let me know that you've got a story and we'll get you on. And so I usually end the show with the song that I started with. But in this case, since we referenced Dawson's Creek and a very certain song that would open Dawson's Creek, I thought I would do things a little differently. And I can do that because it's my show and it's great. But I just want you to imagine for a moment that you're in your early 20s. You've just worked an eight or nine hour shift. You're home at your first apartment and you sink your key into the doorknob and you unlock it and you open the door (laughs) to roughly four or five other men in their early 20s and they begin singing this song, the opening to Dawson's Creek. So to my brother Mark, to my best friend Marco, to Charlie and to Sean, this is for you. One of the great memories of my early 20s. Thank you for that. I'll talk to everyone soon. Thanks again for listening.